Good morning again. Was anyone else a little weepy during worship? I'm tired out. Um, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, Bibles or devices, and if you would, um, stand. I'm going to read uh, this passage that God's given to us this morning from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Uh, it's also on the screen. I'm reading from the Christian uh, Standard uh, Bible Translation. This is God's word to us this morning. Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let's pray. God, this is your word to us this morning. I ask, Holy Spirit, as you inspired this word, you would illuminate this word and apply this word to our lives and our hearts for the glory of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. This sermon shouldn't take more than three or four hours, you know. A <laughs> uh, number of ways that this particular uh, passage, Romans 5, has been interpreted and, and uh, commentated upon and written about and preached about. Um, some preachers or commentators will just look at this, and after Romans 4, where uh, Paul talks about Abraham being made righteous by his faith, justified by his faith, that these are the benefits of justification, what it means that we are completely clean and righteous before God. So some people kind of go that way. Um, I read one commentator that said, this is like um, the, the three great virtues of the believer, faith, hope, and love stacked like Russian dolls. Because you got faith, which opens up to hope, which opens up to love. And I thought that was kind of cool, and if I had Russian dolls, I might have done that one. Some people just see the Trinity at work in justification, where uh, we have peace with God the Father through Jesus the Son, and um, that is applied to us by God the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lots of important words in these five verses. You got justification, you got peace, faith, grace, hope, glory, love, and you got some hard words affliction, endurance character. I want to look at this text this morning through a lens of hope. And as I was reading and as I was praying, not just for me, but for you and for us as a church, I thought that the lens this morning for us is to look at hope. We're, we're desperately in need of hope. I mean, I doubt there's anyone in the room who, who wouldn't say at this point, I just need hope in this one area of my life. I'm just struggling. Or, or look at someone that you love and say, oh God, bring them hope. Help them believe that there is something good in their future because you're a good heavenly father. So I want to look at three paths to hope this morning from this text. And I want you to hear the good news this morning, which is this. From wherever you are right now in your life, there is a path to hope. 
from wherever you are right this moment in your life, there is a path to hope. Anyone ever been to an escape room? Uh, the staff, we did it as a staff a couple years ago. Um, it's a little scary. <laughs> you know they're going to let you out, maybe. The great thing about an escape room and how it came to me this morning was that from any place you are, there was always a path out of your present place into your future place. I mean, there's always a secret. There's always a clue. There's always something. And if you can't find it, the God people come on and say, hey, you big dummy. No, they don't. They help you out. There's always a way from where we are to where God wants to have us. And I just believe the declaration of God over our place and our people today is God wants us in hope. So there's always a path to hope. Hebrews says that we have this hope as the anchor of our souls. So love is powerful. Faith gives us access to all sorts of things. But hope is the anchor of our souls. Hope's the thing that that keeps us uh, steady and moving forward with Jesus when we get nervous because we're stuck in time, right? I mean, we're stuck in time as people who have to keep going into an uncertain future. And we need hope to keep us anchored. I know I do. Basic definition of hope, desire accompanied by the expectation of or belief in fulfillment. In other words, hope is a dream that you expect to come true. Hope is a dream that you expect to come true. J.B. Phillips translates hope as happy certainty. He was a happy guy back in the 60s. Happy certainty. I'm joyful because I know that God's got good in my future for me. So we're going to look at three uh, paths to hope this morning from Romans 5. And the first path, maybe, I don't I couldn't come up with a good term. Maybe we call it the theological path to hope. When I say theological path, don't just tune me out. Because though I'm talking about the study of God, I'm also talking about the reality of us as believers. Here, I'm about to say what is true about us because we're in Jesus. This is the first pathway to hope. Hope begins with faith resulting in justification. Justification is just a fancy word for saying we're reconciled with God. Where we were enemies before, we're no longer enemies. We're now friends. God looks at us because of what Jesus did on the cross and our faith, believing that it was relevant to us and effective for us, and he says, you're righteous now. You weren't righteous You didn't come up with some righteousness. You didn't work your way into righteousness. No, this righteousness came from outside of you and now has been applied to you. And God looks at us because of our faith in Jesus and he says we're righteous. I mean, does it just kind of freak you out a little bit? That God would look at us when we know ourselves and say, I look at you and I see righteousness. We're seen and known by God as righteous. Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians that God made the one, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that a wild exchange? The one who knew no sin was made sin so that we who couldn't do anything but sin would become the righteousness of God. So I just encourage you, Stare at your friends and your, uh, and your um, loved ones and maybe your enemies if they know Jesus and stare in the mirror and declare, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. 
that's not pride. That's true humility, knowing that it was something was given me that I could never attain. And yet it's true of me. And all this happened by faith. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We just believed that through Jesus, this could be, we could be made righteous. And then we were. And therefore we are. So the result of that faith and justification is that we have peace with God. That God looks at us and there's no enmity between us. You ever wonder how, I mean, what's the look on God's face when he looks at you? It's peace. I mean, I, I've got to believe it's, it's the look that a, a parent looks at a child when they're perfectly sleeping and couldn't think about doing anything wrong. It's complete peace. We were enemies and now we're friends, which means God has nothing against us, which means God which means God expects no payment for what he's done for us. That doesn't mean that we don't do good works motivated by grace, but God's not just waiting up there like, come on, let's get to it. I saved you and all, let's move on. It's not the heart of God towards us. He's got nothing against us and we have nothing against him. We're united. Him and me and me and him. And as a result, we have access to not just this new position of righteousness before God, 100% loved and affirmed, but also a new privilege, which is we now get to live and stand in a new place. You know what that place is called? It's called grace. We now live in grace. So we believe in Jesus. That's faith. We get access to grace, a relationship of grace not just a door into grace occasionally, like, oh, I screwed up and I need to go back into grace and get myself doused and then go back out again. What Paul says is we now, we stand in grace. We, we live in grace. Grace is our new place to live. I mean, I, I know I'm not the only one that y- you may remember when you first came to Jesus and you realized, I can't believe that he's forgiven me. I can't believe that I'm this free and that all my sin is gone. And then somehow in the discipleship process, you get this idea, now I better get to it. Because I'm sure grace was the free pass in, but I doubt there's a free pass in the midst of. And where, where we started in grace, we moved towards works. I think it's, it's, a part, it's a part of the enemy's design to take us out of grace. And Paul's saying we stand in grace. We live by grace. We don't just look at it We don't just think about grace. We don't just take a sip now and again. We live in it. We're consumed by grace. We're surrounded by grace. And kind of, I mean, this is a strange example, but here it is now. We're like like the pig pens of the kingdom, right? We We just, grace goes everywhere we go. The atmosphere around us is grace. And when we give grace away to other people, then people meet Jesus in a new way like we did. Grace isn't just the beginning of eternal life. It's the way of life for every believer. And it's all on the basis of our faith in Jesus who did his work on the cross. Here's what's standing in grace. I'm getting to hope, I promise, but I, 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 got, by, I got kind of derailed by grace. Here's what standing in grace means. It means I don't need to prove I'm worthy of God's love anymore. 
It means God is my friend, and I don't have to worry what he thinks about me at any time. It means no more over-scrupulous measuring, comparing, or condemning. I'll say that one again. Standing in grace means no more over-scrupulous comparing, assessing, condemning. That's all gone. Those things don't live in the place of grace. It means the work of the cross is complete and unchangeable. I, I love the way John Rigstead reminds me frequently, just remember what side of the cross you're living on. It's all done. It's all past. We're pure. It means I spend more time praising God and serving others than hating myself. It means I agree to believe and consent to be loved even though I know I'm unworthy. And I know I fling this one out a lot because it's one of my favorite um, uh, definitions of grace. Paul Tillich said, grace is accepting your acceptance in spite of the fact that you're unacceptable and doing it over and over and over again. It means I can testify of God's goodness at all times. It means I'm certain of God's future favor, even though as we walk in grace, we're more and more tender in our conscience towards God. Isn't that beautiful? Grace doesn't make us willy-nilly with sin. Grace brings us to the place where we're certain of the future favor of God in our lives, but our conscience has become more tender because it's, it's our joy to, to thank him for what he's done for us. Grace means I can rely on God's loving discipline in my life as proof of my adoption as his son and his tender kindness towards me. It means when you're being disciplined, not punished, that all happened to Jesus. We don't get that. But when I'm being disciplined because God loves me, I can remember while standing in grace, oh, he's a good father. We stand in grace. When you stand in grace, what can knock you down? When, when everything that you have comes from the creator God, what can knock you down? What can take us out? And so from the place of grace on the path, on this path to hope, what happens now, according to Paul, this gets a little weird. It says we boast. Faith, justification, access to grace in which we stand. And so what do we do? We boast. <laughs> we boast in the hope of God's glory. We boast in the happy certainty that we're going to experience the presence of God and we're going to experience God's actual manifest glory, his splendor. I have no idea what that means or what that looks like. But it's our certain future as recipients of grace by way of faith. One commentator says, boast here means a triumphant, rejoicing confidence. A triumphant, rejoicing confidence. Not because we did anything, but because we've been the recipients of something grand. It's like a lottery winner, you know? A lottery winner doesn't say, I was so smart to get those exact numbers. It's a lottery. They didn't know. It's just grace, abundance with taxes. I don't know, it's just... 
So this first path to hope begins with faith that makes us right, reconciled with God, and at peace with God no matter our condition. At peace with God no matter our condition. With open access to live and breathe in grace, God's unlimited favor towards us, all because of Jesus, resulting in the happy certainty that our future is God's glory. That's what we wake up to tomorrow and the next day and the next year and, and for eternity. So from wherever you are right now, there is a path to hope. That's the theological path to hope. The second path to hope, <laughs> maybe it's the more practical path because Paul goes on in verse 3. We also boast in our afflictions. Dang. We also boast in our afflictions. And Paul had plenty of afflictions. I mean, affliction here is a pretty strong word. Affliction isn't, you know, I, I, I tripped off this and skinned my knee. Affliction is the diagnosis. Affliction is the divorce. Affliction is the loss and the pain. That, that's affliction. Affliction is, is suffering. By grace, affliction yields endurance. And by grace, endurance yields proven character. And by grace, proven character yields hope. It just seems funny that hope gets tacked onto the end of that. We can boast in these afflictions, these stresses in our life. Does anyone have a stress in their life? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you have a stress in your life. Okay, we're all in it, except for you liars. Or it just could be denial. We'll do a sozo. <laughs> no, we all have them, right? Stresses. And, and, and many people, we have afflictions in our life that people don't know about. And Paul says we can boast in these afflictions, these stresses, because the afflictions result in endurance. I mean, sorry to give the standard thing, but it's like weightlifting. or It's like, it's like running. The body requires stress to gain strength. The body, the physical body that God made demands being pressed past its limits in order to get stronger. I really wish it didn't work that way. I mean, I wish it said, and then God will sprinkle you with endurance, and then he'll sprinkle you with character, and then he'll sprinkle you, right? Wouldn't that be great? But it's not, it's not how it goes. And so when the human soul is stressed, it too gains strength and endurance if we look to Jesus. So, I mean, I, I wish it wasn't this way. I, didn't have to, I wish I didn't have to preach this part, but Paul's clear. Here's a, one path to hope is also this. Boast, happy certainty, glorious, triumphant amazement at affliction because it helps me to learn endurance, which helps me to learn character, which helps me to find hope. I... Um, I was talking to a friend the other night. I love the Rocky movies. Sorry. I especially love the training montages, you know, where Rocky goes from, you know, fat to fit in like a minute and a half in one half of one song. It's amazing, you know. And I, but don't you get fired up when you see those? Like, dun, 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 dun. you know that one? You get fired up. But that's not really how it goes. We know that in the midst of that montage, you know, there was pain, there was tearing, 
There was disappointment. There was giving up. And then comes endurance. And then comes character. And then comes hope. And for Rocky, then comes victory eventually. This path to hope is lined with trust. Because on this path to hope, we have to trust that this affliction will somehow work endurance in me. I think it's perfectly appropriate to say, God, take this affliction from me. Jesus did it. Paul did it. I think we're in good company. It's just up to God how he answers that prayer and when. So I'm not saying we chase after affliction or suffering. I'm just saying when it's there, we say, God, do your work in me that I might gain endurance and through endurance character and through character hope. It means trust that endurance will build this, teaching me to be true to Jesus and to others no matter the cost. That's character. It means trust that character will lead to hope, choosing to believe that God will redeem all things in the end. That in the end, God will redeem all things. We don't know how it works, and we don't do the redeeming. We just watch it happen at some point in our lives. And I'm not saying this is an easy path. I am just saying that the end of this path is hope. This is the path that Jesus walked. He probably knew the theology too. He probably knew what he was doing. But this is the path that Jesus walked. Hebrews 5, it says, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Always been a tough one for me to figure out. But it says it in the Bible. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So what we know for sure is that if if you're on this path of affliction, endurance, character, on your way to hope, that Jesus is on the path with you. Jesus is on the path with me. We're not alone on that path towards hope. So what does prayer on this path to hope sound like? Maybe something like this. God, I know you love me and you carefully measure every trial in my life and have a loving purpose to accomplish in every challenge. I think that's what prayer looks like on the path to hope through affliction, endurance, character. It means we don't seek affliction or or pursue suffering, but we don't need to despise them or lose hope. This is hard. I mean, the, everything, the pastor in me just wants to say to everyone, it'll all be fine. It'll all go away. But I'm not the king. I'm not the great shepherd. There is one. And he will do all things well. I think it was Nick. If not, I'm giving him credit for it. <laughs> in our staff meeting, who said, I'm not going to delay my joy until the prayer is answered. Was that you? Thank you. I loved it. I don't even know how it fits in here. I just wanted to say it. I'm not going to delay my joy until the prayer is answered. I'm not going to wait. I mean, it's the essence of faith, right? I rejoice in what I know is coming, though I haven't yet seen it. And that's a part of this path. Now, at the end of this second path, there's this really odd statement. It says, and hope does not disappoint. And I don't know how this came up in our, our small group a couple weeks ago. We weren't even looking at this passage. We were somewhere else. But somehow this came up and we had a, a lively discussion about hope not disappointing. And, you know, the, uh, the holy leader of the group <clears throat> said, hope doesn't disappoint 
in my opinion, that's all it does. I mean, do you ever feel that? Like, how do you get to disappointment unless you hoped and then it didn't happen? But it says right here, hope does not disappointment. does not disappoint. And I'm just going to tell you, I struggled with it. And I'm still struggling with it. So we'll figure it out together or God will teach you. But someone in our group, you know, I, I made that statement. Like, it seems like all that hope does is disappoint. Like, I, isn't that the whole? If you didn't do it, you wouldn't get it. And he said, you know, if I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loved me unconditionally and eternally, just as I am, I would never be disappointed. And the whole room just kind of went, ooh. But I'll confess, something in me is like, oh, really? Hope does not disappoint. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what the proverb says. But here's where I see the third path to renewed hope. And I'm calling this the Ikea shortcut to hope. Have you ever been to Ikea? Who's been to Ikea? Okay. It's a labyrinth of pain. If you haven't been to Ikea, you walk into this mammoth store about as big as a state. You walk in, and then you start on this trail. And I'm telling you, I'm not good with directions. It's just lucky I'm still not at Ikea. You know, walking around the basket saying, how do I get out of here? This isn't my kitchen. Maybe this is my kitchen. This isn't my kitchen. Where am I? Anyway, I was at Ikea the other day, honestly, uh, not just for illustrative purposes. I walked in. I needed a specific item. So I asked someone in yellow, and I got to the specific item. It took me about two, two days. But I got, I got there, and I got the item, and then I just realized, i got to get out of here. I do not have time to go through this and that, and then, you know, the Swedish meatballs, and the, I, I just, I don't have time for it. So I went up to a number of people, and I just, I mean, I got more and more desperate. First, first I said, hey, how do I get out? And they're like, take a left and a right, and then jump up in a hoop, and then, you know. So I, I do the first part of that, and I say to the next person, hey, how do I get out, you know. Finally, the last person, I said, I desperately want to leave this place. And this very kind woman, this very kind woman with yellow, says, follow me. There's a shortcut, you know. <laughs> so we get through the shortcut, and finally we get to the, you know how it all works, you know. Why did I say all that? I think that the IKEA shortcut to hope is found at the end of this verse. Hope does not disappoint why because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. I think the shortcut to hope is surrender to love. I think that's what the shortcut to, to hope is. Wherever you are in, you know, your Ikea life trying to figure out, the, sh the shortcut is just, God, I surrender to your love. I just trust it all over again. I mean, the gift of the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit, is that he pours out the love of God in our hearts. That's just not fantasy. That's, that's fact. If you're in Jesus, the love of God is resident within you. It's there. Now, I don't exactly know how to apply that, but I know that when I'm tempted to disappointment, I get to go back to the shortcut and say, God, you love me. So it didn't work out the way I thought, but you love me. What more could I want? Uh, it, it's harder than I thought it would be, but you love me. But you've, you've secured me eternally in your love. The grace of God is in me. I stand in grace. 
I've been justified by faith. I have access to unmerited favor from God. So that means I have access from wherever I am to hope. That means no matter where I am in life, I can look up and say, the love of God is in me. Certainly I can hope in him who created me. I'm not saying that you won't still have affliction. And I'm certainly not saying that the theological truth that we covered in the beginning here isn't utterly crucial to your life. But at any point that your hope is lacking, you can surrender to the love of God. You can lay out before God's love because he's poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's a promise. It's an invitation. And it's for real. Let's stand. One other thought. The three paths that I gave. A path is only takes us somewhere if we take it. A path only leads to a place if we keep going along the path. So there's some responsibility in this relationship of the believer with hope. We've got to keep walking the paths. We, we've got to probably review the truths and apply them. Live them radically. Crazily. What's your words there? Audaciously. <laughs> it's my daughter. She helps me. Audaciously believing that all this is true about me. And then standing in faith and going through affliction and recognizing, God, this is your goodness to me displayed. So our responsibility to believe, to keep walking, to not give up, to open our hearts to the flood of God's love, one thing we cannot do is quit. One thing we cannot do is quit. And if you have quit, now's the best time to unquit, to re-engage. So from wherever you are right now, there's a path to hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for this scripture. I ask that you would, um, oh, filter through my words and bring truth and application to each heart and spirit here this morning that we would overflow with hope. We thank you, God, God, for what you did. Jesus, your work on the cross. Holy Spirit, your application of that love to these very hearts. And we ask in Jesus' name. Release us into that season of hope. Amen. I think my encouragement ministry time uh, today is if you know what your next step towards hope is, would you just come forward and then we'll gather people around you to pray. You don't have to say anything, but if you know, just listening here, you know what your next step towards hope is, would you come forward? ask for the ministry team to come forward and just uh, pray a blessing on these that are in front. If they want to tell you what the step is, they can. If not, they don't have to. But just bless what God's doing. If you have another need this morning, a prayer need, turn to someone uh, in the church, someone you know, come to a pastor, whoever invited you. We would love to pray for you. God, we ask for these, that you would lead them and empower them in faith 
with access to grace into a season of hope. In Jesus' name.